Well, hi, guys. It is the Encore Podcast. I'm Chris McCoy, along with my favorite producer and I can't say my favorite niece. I just can't do that because I have too many of you. <laughs> but you're way, way up there on the list, Gab. You are <laughs> so far up there. You would not believe it. <laughs> Maybe you would believe it. Oh, no, I feel like I'm going to have to cut this. You do have way too many nieces to be making statements like this. <laughs> no, you don't have to cut it because, I... <laughs> hey, but they don't listen anyway, so it's their fault. <laughs> no, don't worry, okay? Um, yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. We do, you know what, and I've said this before, and I mean it, I appreciate, Gavin, I both appreciate the fact that some of you listen every week, and some of you listen based on you know, what uh, is coming up. And I totally get that. Some things you're interested in, some things you're not. But what I what we would ask you to do is if you do listen, please let us know that you have. Like it, make a comment, um, negative, positive, whatever comment you'd like to make. At <laughs> least, well, look, uh, seriously, at least we will know that you listened and you can, if you can point out something specific and go, boy, that was really insightful, Gabby. And Chris, that really sucked. You know, it, it, we'd appreciate that. Any kind of feedback at all would be good. But please, you know, we want to, you know, all honesty, we want to boost our numbers. And you guys can help us with that by liking. And, you know, even if you, if here's another thing, it, you know, if you find something really interesting and fun, you can abscond with it, put it on your own page. We'd appreciate that too. And tell other people to listen. Some of our listeners have actually done that. So we appreciate that as well. All right. Enough begging. Let me get off my knees here. Hold on. Ugh. All right. Listen, we're going to do something different this week. And we hope you enjoy it. We think you will. It's going to be dealing with a certain top topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I think to Gab's heart as well. So we'll do that. And we'll come back with it on the Encore podcast next. Gab and I were talking and, you know, she mentioned to me that the subject of music comes up a lot on this podcast. Gee, I wonder why, but it does. I'm constantly making references to, I guess, mostly the music I grew up with, which was a lot of different genres, but for the most part, classic rock mainly of the 60s and 70s. So we were talking and she said, well, why don't you tell, tell them what you asked me? Is there someone you would like to talk music with? Yep. I think that we talk about enough on this show that it was finally time to do an episode about it. Mm -hmm. My first thought was, yeah, Paul McCartney, but I think he's still touring. So I'll go, <laughs> I'll go to my next best guy. And that's my brother, John. My brother, John, and I have talked music ever since well, I guess maybe he was 13, I was 21 or 20, whatever the age difference is here. Uh, but we've talked music down through the years, and he's one of the most knowledgeable people that I know of to talk about this genre. So, John, tag, you're it. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Chris, for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be on <laughs> with my barely older brother. <laughs> I was born in 75, by the way. I don't know what year you were born, but, uh, you know, you were long gone from the house. And, you know. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was out of there too sweet. That's for sure. Uh, that was a crazy place to be back then. And most of it was because of you and your friends that would come over every night and hang around. <laughs> when <laughs> I was a baby? 
So anyway, that's hurtful. Uh, we did. John and I decided that we would pick two of our favorite artists, and then take two of their what we consider to be their finest efforts in in terms of albums, and talk about that, and perhaps come up with what we feel eventually is our favorite album of one of our favorite bands. So, of course, as I already alluded to, I'm a big 60s, 70s guy. So I went for the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And John, you? I went for William Shatner and uh, Elmo and Patsy. But then I, I really had to shelve them because I couldn't think of a single good song by William Shatner and, you know, really only one mediocre song by uh, Elmo and Patsy. So I went with my second choices, which were uh, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. All right. By the way, I would highly recommend that you YouTube Mr. Tambourine Man or Lucy <laughs> Sky with Diamonds. <laughs> I, have, I have listened to that, although I like the original version better, I think. I'm, I'm not sure. Shatner puts his own touches on it, but still. He does. Yeah. He, and li- as no one ever has since then, thank goodness. <laughs> so, okay. Your delays need to be longer. Yeah. So you're going with Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. Two excellent choices. That's correct. Mm-hmm. What about your albums from those two bands? So let me just say, first of all, I was uh, I was really raised on on Pink Floyd. So that, they, they were my number one band there. You know, it, it's hard. My, you know, when you think of Pink Floyd, at least when I think of Pink Floyd, the first thing that jumps into my head is a dark side, dark side of the moon. But mm-hmm. that's really as I came to uh, to revisit and start to listen more. You know, they had that block of albums going from dark side of the moon, in my opinion. I mean, it had a couple leading into that, too. But dark side of the moon up through the wall that I thought were just excellent music. But in the end, I think uh, my number one album by them is, is not Dark Side of the Moon. It, it, it's Animals. I just love the, the way Animals plays out. I mean, they, the songs are, are long, which is uh, a feature that you certainly don't get in a lot of other bands. Uh, dogs is almost mm-hmm. the entire album, isn't it? Dogs? <laughs> it is. Yeah. It, dogs is, is exceptionally long. Yes, it and, and it's also... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, what I like about that album, too, is the way they feature different, you know, like like Dogs is is very synthesizer driven, you know, whereas uh, like uh, Pigs is is very heavy guitar driven, you know, and, and I you can definitely see the different influences in there. And uh, and that's that's one of the things I really like about it, the way they have these these long songs, uh, not a lot of sensible lyrics. You know, I could go on about how it's really all about. George or- Orwell's, uh, you know, animal farm turned on its head against communism, but instead being against capitalism. But that would just be ridiculous. I just really like it for the music, the musical content only. So <laughs> who, who do you think had more of an influence on that album? Was it was it Waters or uh, uh, Gilmore? What do you think? I think I, I mean, I've always been a, a person who thought that Waters had most most of the influence on that time frame for the band. Kind of ending with him going completely over the top when you got to uh, when you got to the wall, you know. I mean, where he just it, you can see his insanity building. You know, it didn't it didn't flash out <laughs> early on. You know, like uh, like some members of the band, but it built. But I think when I when I listen to that, I think that there's Waters' influence, but I think generally the songs had a lot of influence by the individual players, by Wright and Gilmore, especially. You know. Mm-hmm. And and Mesa on the drums, I always think had a 
had a huge part in that band. I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed his drumming. He was a little bit more in the background. He wasn't like some drummers, like my other favorite band who were really kind of out there and, and strong in the band. But was it Nick Mason, the guy who yelled, if you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. <laughs> I believe it was. <laughs> I believe it was. Yes. It was not on the animals album though. No, that was not on animals, not on animals. I, I raised my daughters by that, you know, that okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> that was your edict. Yeah, you don't eat your meat. You can't have any pudding. And I think how that, can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? <laughs> I mean, let's let's face facts here. Right. <laughs> Do you know the story behind that? Did they ever explain why that was in there? There was a lot of no, not that I know of. There was just a lot of Pink Floyd in particular had a lot of those kind of background voices like where the you just did. like the Beatles did. Yes. They were just strange, you know, and there. Absolutely. They were copying the Beatles in that case, probably, you know. But yeah, so anyway, Animals is my number one. And that's followed by uh, by Dark Side for me. And Dark Side's good. It's excellent, actually. If, if When I listen to that album, I don't find really a weak spot in it. But the reason I don't put it number one is, and this is just peculiar to me, but when things get overplayed on the radio, I start to discount them. I start, they, they become overplayed in my head. So like Money might be my least favorite song on that whole album, just mm-hmm. because I, I just don't like it. However, Us and Them, I love Us and Them. And that was played a fair amount on the radio. Uh, you know, anyway, that's that's my opinion on those. Yeah, but, you know, John, I think Money was like, it was almost like Pink Floyd's pop song. You know, if they had yes. a pop song, it would have been Money. It was played on Top 40 radio. I mean, you're right. It wasn't just an FM cut back in the day, back in those times. Uh, everybody right. played Money pretty much, you know. Mm-hmm. So yes. I totally get what you're saying about that. I was going to say, I don't know if you have that same peculiarity where something that's overplayed on the radio makes you like it less. You have to understand that I worked on the radio for 47 years. So yeah, I've heard that. It killed a lot of music for me. (laughs) You know, when, when you're doing a four hour shift and you're coming up against the same song that you played, let's say it's Tuesday, the same song that you played back on Friday. Oh, hell it's Monday. And you're playing the same song that you played back on Friday. Yeah, I, it, you know, it does take some of the joy. Right. You know what disassociate means? Like when you can go somewhere else in your head temporarily. Yes. Uh, serial killers are really good at this. And, <laughs> and, and radio discharge. Chris. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, when a song came on that I've heard for the hundred thousandth time that I used to really love, I would just disassociate and go somewhere else mentally. Mm-hmm. It's over. Yeah. There was a lot of dead air because of that. (laughs) (laughs) So you were, you were running around the studio, air drumming to the, to the music. Oh, I did a lot of that. And sure. You know, and I would work the pencils and the, and uh, the pens and everything. Yeah. I was, I never stopped drumming. Never. Okay. Did you guys find that you got some time away from the songs that were overplayed? that you came to enjoy them again after hearing them for a long time? Or was it just once they were overplayed, that was it? There was no coming back? Well, for me, no. I think uh, when I have a song that I kind of moved away from because it was overplayed, when I hear it like a long time later, I, I can develop a new appreciation. It doesn't mean I'll go back to thinking it's the greatest thing ever. 
like money. In preparation for this, I, I did listen again, yet again. And when I when I heard money again, the first thing I thought is, oh, not this song again. But <laughs> but listening to it, I mean, it, it's a very it's a very good song. It's just for me. So it took me back, unfortunately, to the radio days, you know, hearing it all the time on the radio. Well, you know, I've been off the radio now for just about a year, almost exactly a year. Yeah, for me, listening to these songs again does feel good. It's like taking a little vacation away from it. And then when you come back to it, you it's almost like you hear it with a different set of ears or, you know, whatever. But yeah, I, I agree. But there are some songs that if I never heard again, that would be perfectly fine with me. We won't ask you to name those. No, we won't go. This is about best artists and albums, not about those most annoying (laughs) artists and albums. There is a song on Dark Side, uh, On the Run. It's it's one of the things in my rotation when I run. And I once in a while have it in my ears and and I'll actually think someone's coming up behind me as I'm as I'm running along, which is a little bit of a weird thing. That was a great show. I start to fade out a little bit. Yeah. A great show for Nick Mason's drumming, too, by the way. That's, That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I do enjoy the song, but just sometimes I get a little startled. If I'm out on a uh, if I, if I'm out on a path and I and that song comes in my ears, I think somebody think somebody's coming up behind me, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally get that. Yeah. It's just me, the serial killer DJ coming up behind yeah, you. Yeah, right. So how do you feel about Nick Mason as a drummer? Let's ask, let's ask you that. You know, he was with what I call like an art rock band and drummers aren't usually the most important piece in, well, in any band, but, you know, let's be honest, but uh, especially in like an art rock outfit, like Pink Floyd, there's just so much going on. You know, the mood is just, it's just not a band that you expect. Let's put it this way. It's not like uh, if you were to take um, uh, a Charlie Watts, who is a great timekeeper, or even Ringo Starr, who was another excellent timekeeper. These other drummers, these madman drummers, always put down Ringo. When all Ringo did was just keep a great backbeat for the, you know, for the Beatles for what, what, those six, seven years? I mean, that's all right. he did. You know, he he, <laughs> he let the other guy shine. He wasn't. Um, what's the name of the? Uh, unfortunately, he just passed away about a year or two ago. Oh, uh, from uh, Rush. Yeah. Yeah. Neil Pert. Neil Pert. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Neil Pert. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. He died at 67. Holy crap. He died. Yes. He had brain cancer, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know if that answer made any sense to you. It does. It makes perfect sense. So that's kind of what I had said, right? You know, you're the you're the drum guy. So I didn't know how you. I mean, I, I personally like Nick Mason's drumming, but I never really had a conversation with it about anybody who, who's kind of more in, in tune with the art of drumming. So. Right. Keith Moon would never have made it with Pink Floyd. Right. <laughs> never right. I mean, that, that is not a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> Nick Mason, yeah. Keith never. many times sounded like he was falling over his drums. I know, I know he's an excellent drummer, but sometimes he just like, Sound like he stood up and got too ahead of himself. And the next thing you know, he tumbled over and all his drums went flying. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was organized chaos but, is basically what it was. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, not that I've ever played, but I always enjoyed guitar. So that's like Gilmore. I love Gilmore's guitar. That's what, that's one of the things that really draw, drew me to, uh, to Pink Floyd. That and uh, the contact high I used to get when I went to their concerts. I would <laughs> never partake, but, you know, just the, the contact high was just enough to, to, to really make the music pop. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember I took Roberta to a Pink Floyd concert. As a matter of fact, we saw them at the old Vet Stadium in Philly. I'm, I don't know mm-hmm. what year it was. They had the big, I was there. Big floating. It was a division. I think it was a division bell album. I think it was like around 91, maybe 92. I'm not sure because she was pregnant with one of our girls and I thought it was Lauren, but I guess it make, if it was 91 or 92, it would have been Becky. Well, I went to a, I went to a Floyd concert with you around that time. And okay. it was at the bank. Okay. Then that, that's what it that's was. why maybe it was it. Well, Roberta's not the biggest Floyd fan there is out there to begin with. I kind of dragged her there. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and and she was, you know, really, I mean, she was about eight months pregnant, I think. And it was, as I recall, it was pretty hot. It was not an enjoyable experience for her, but I loved it. Yeah. I'm just so happy to be able to say that I got to see Pink Floyd kind of, I don't know if you would call it their heyday or not. Maybe they were just a little bit crested over the hill at that time. And yeah, yeah. how you feel about the material. <laughs> really great to see them in person, even if it was all the way up in the 700 level, you know, and they're all the way down there in right field on the great show for, yes. me, for me and for you, obviously, but not so right. much. Right. No, it, it absolutely was. I've, I've actually seen Roger Waters a couple of times touring when doing Floyd stuff too, you know, and he's very good. Yeah. Individually. One of the things that people complain about Roger Waters is he's too political. You know, he is pretty political. He doesn't mind sharing that from the stage. Right. That's very true. Yeah. And, you know, Bruce Springsteen gets, uh, you know, that's one of the hammers that they throw in him, too. And And you, too. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, you know, when you do that, when you give your political opinions from the stage, you uh, are probably going to piss off half the people that are in attendance or somewhere near there. So, yeah, just ask the Dixie chicks. Was it the Dixie chicks? It was, I was just going to say that same thing. They were the first people to ever get canceled for having an opinion. Yeah. (laughs) True. And it was pretty benign, you know, as I recall, but anyway, when you told me you were going to do Led Zeppelin, I kind of thought, Oh, this is great. Tell me about it. Which albums did you choose? So I think my uh, my number one, and this probably won't come as a surprise, is uh, four Led Zeppelin four. I mean, just that every song on that album is just great, in my opinion. I mean, it's just strong from top to bottom. It was it was difficult for me to to really even pick like what my favorite tracks were on it. And I'm sorry, I'm dating myself, I guess, since I continue to use the term album. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. What do, what do we call them nowadays? I mean, they're not really albums anymore, right? you know. Yeah, well, I still call them albums. Albums, LP, okay. you know, it's okay. right. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. Like Pink Floyd was where I was. It was my kind of my psychedelic era. That was my psychedelic sound that I enjoyed. Uh, you know, when you got into pure rocking, it was really Zeppelin. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, four, I think, is just great top to bottom. Rock and roll is probably my favorite song on that album. I mean, they just rock out on that song. And then, you know, when the levee breaks, which is not, I mean, which is much more bluesy, but yeah, I mean, I just, I just like that album. That's, that's my number one album. I don't see any weak spots in that album at all. In my opinion, anyway, I don't see any weak spots. 
with Led Zeppelin, you could say that they were pretty overdone on the radio too, right? Yeah, you could say. (laughs) Since you mentioned, are mentioning, talking about Led Zeppelin 4, you know, how about Stairway to Heaven? Is there a song that's been beaten to death more on radio, commercial radio, than (laughs) Stairway to Heaven over the years? Probably. Could be my least favorite on the album. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that may be the full reason for it too. Yeah. Well, that that's interesting because I, it was stairway to heaven that hooked me and it made me go out and buy that album back in the day when it, when it first came out. And then it, I discovered all the other great hits there, like black dog and going to California and all of those. Yeah. I, I saw Led Zeppelin while they toured for that album again. Really? At the Spectrum, when they did go into California, John Bonham got up and walked away, lit a cigarette, got up and walked off stage. If I'm not mistaken, John Paul Jones maybe walked off too. And it was just Robert Plant and Jimmy Jimmy Page sitting on two stools with acoustic guitars playing going to California. And it was like, you know, after all of the Led Zeppelin music in your head, all of a sudden being almost able to hear a pin drop or wait a minute is that a pin drop or is that the ringing in my ears <laughs> it was just, it was one of the most different things i had ever seen at that time at a rock and roll concert you know it was kind of like i refer to it as the first time i ever saw a band unplug so yeah. to speak yeah so, that sounds that sounds great that sounds like it would be uh, just really something to see yeah, it was. I love Jimmy Page as a guitarist. You know, he was just, you know, I shouldn't say he was. He hasn't died yet. So his guitar playing, him, and I, they, I know they're, they're slightly different, but I think they had uh, very unique styles. Him and uh, from Yes, Al. Oh, just, yeah. You know, I love the guitar playing by both of them. Yeah. As a matter of fact, talking about this podcast to, to one of my friends, uh, Phil, Phil Gintro, you know, he was saying, oh, you should do Yes. Yes. I mean, I love yes, but yes is pretty much, I think, a very acquired taste, you know, in my, in my opinion. Well, you know, come on, if you like Pink Floyd and all of that stuff back in the day, you were also listening to yes, more than likely, True. you know? Yes. But I, I see what you're saying. You know, it was funny. I, if there's a band that I never expected to go disco, it was, it was yes, but they did. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. Owner of a lonely heart. You know, I, <laughs> I, right. I yeah. played the long yeah. dance version of that in clubs back in the day. <laughs> I mean, you know, Rod Stewart did it. The Rolling Stones did it. They all went disco. But, you know, yes. You know, really? Are you going to play disco now? Frank Zappa. Frank, Frank Zappa did it. <laughs> <laughs> I think his was more of a spoof, though. But, you know. yeah, Every, everything Zappa did was a spoof, wasn't it? <laughs> well, the Stones were your band coming up. I mean, they did some. They had some uh, disco sounds on some of their songs. That's what I said. Yeah. I mean, look at some girls, the whole damn album is practically. Yeah, absolutely. Watch nuts. I would think. But anyway, what's your, what's your other uh, Zeppelin album? I came in thinking that it was going to be physical graffiti. So four is number one, but I, I just like number two, I think is it the other album that they had that just didn't have any weak spots in my opinion. Anyway, I really love two as my, as my second. So four is number one, two is two is my second. I know that we're still kind of coming into their own on two, that second album. That, that whole lot of love. Was that the album that had a whole lot of love on it? it yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that was the lead song on the album. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. the opening song, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That'll get you rocking. huh? 
<laughs> for sure. Get you moving. But yeah. physical and they, it also had Moby Dick, which I'm sure is near and dear to your heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, Mo, Moby Dick has a long uh, drum solo in it. Right. John Bottom was an excellent, excellent drummer. I mean, when you talk about yep. a guy who was not only a good beat keeper, but man, if you let him loose, he could really fill a room. And that's another thing I remember is when they did that song, all the, the three other members of Led Zeppelin left the stage and let Bonham go crazy. That was, that's a good movie. You just reminded me about that. You didn't choose physical graffiti. That's interesting. The most downloaded song on physical graffiti is? No, Chris, tell me. Cashmere. Yeah, well, that's not surprising, I guess. Yeah. It's an excellent song. Yeah, it is. Um, it, I, you know, it's one of those songs that sounds to me like if Led Zeppelin were going to score a movie, Cashmere would be part of that. It's just got that. Yes. That sound you can see, you know, in my mind, I can see it. I not only hear it, but I can see it when I, whenever Cashmere comes on. And that, by the way, is a, a, a Zed song that I'm still not tired of hearing. I don't know how you feel about yes. it. Yes. No, I feel the same way. I, I'm, you know, I've heard the intro about a million times since, uh, you know, I'm a Phillies fan. Yeah. But outside of that. Yeah. For our listeners who don't no. know, Chase Utley's walk-up song was Cashmere. I think from the day he entered Major League Baseball. It, yeah, it was. It was a great choice. Boy, you know, that sound, it's got that very menacing, uh-oh, there's something coming up and we're not exactly sure what it is. Oh, my God, it's Chase Utley, you know? You are a man, yes. <laughs> it was either that or they were going to play the theme to Jaws, you know, when he came up. One or the other. I don't know which. I, I prefer Cashmere. It's a yeah, me too. much better song. They are musically similar, though, in, in, yeah. <laughs> in the mood they evoke. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's my two top Zeppelin albums, or four and two. Yep. I know. I, I know fit, not putting physical graffiti in there is... Um, it's probably a, a weird choice for people, but no, no, you know, don't feel bad about leaving something important out because where do you hear my choices? <laughs> so, okay. If you had to leave the listeners with a, with a final album recommendation of the four, what would you summarize that as? Well, that's tough because they're two different. Well, they're both classic rock. One is really more psychedelic, which is uh, Pink Floyd. And the other one is just hard rocking. If I guess to the uninitiated, someone who hasn't listened to either of these bands before and they want to get a flavor for it, I'd say first you have to take a look at them and see what they look like. Are they are they rockers or are they not? Out of all four albums, Animals is just, to me, is just the number one out of those four. But you have to be in the mood for that. I mean, it's got to be, if you're, if you're a rocker, then Zep 4 is it. So I know that I dodged it there, but I really feel as though they're they're different. And it's hard to just say, oh, you, you know, just to anybody, oh, this is the album you need to listen to. The, of all the classic rockers, I think you managed to pick two that are so compl almost completely different from each other, you know, in so many ways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have to be in the mood for Pink Floyd. You don't necessarily have to be in a mood for Led Zeppelin. But for Floyd, I think, yeah, you have to be more of a, I'm going to sit in my chair, relax with a little something, and uh, maybe put the headphones on and uh, just listen, you yeah. know? 
was the little something a contact high or well, it could be yeah it could be depending on you know who you are it could be just a straight up high too it doesn't have to be a contact high for god's sake <laughs> you know i know my dog partakes and i could get it that way but outside of that i don't want to you know put anybody else at risk here you're going with uh, animals as your is your number one out of uh out of everything yeah there. Okay. Yep. I, I mean, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a personal choice. You ask me personal choice. So mm -hmm. that's what it is. I mean, if it's a party and somebody says, which of those four albums should I put on? It's definitely Zeppelin. Oh yeah. You want to have a little. Zeppelin yeah. four. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. All right. See, there's no wrong answer here, right? It's very, it's very uh, personal. Okay. Good. You know, I chose being the 60s and 70s guy. I chose, of course, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And it was really tough. You know, maybe I should have thought about this again. Maybe I should have gone with uh, like Eric Burden and the animals and, you know, the birds or something like that. Uh, but no, I picked two of the bands that have the biggest catalogs out there. And I'm, I, you know, trying to narrow it down. So for, for the Beatles, of course, I went with one of my two albums. I went with Abbey Road because I feel that I really think that that may have been the Beatles at their absolute creative peak, even though the band was literally falling apart when they recorded that album, which was the very last album they recorded. Let It Be came out after, but was recorded before Abbey Road. And if you watch the, the Peter Jackson film, you saw them while they were working on the let it be album and that whole process you heard parts of songs that they were just coming up with that were going to end up on abbey road which is really cool that whole process to me is just an amazing process especially when you see a band with as much talent and skill and songwriting as they had when you get to see the process not only the fun times but the times when they pissed each other off yeah. <laughs> to me that, you know, it's just like a family. It's just, you know, you get pissed at your family members. Sometimes you love them, but sometimes, you know, you want to smack them. <laughs> and I felt, I always felt bad for George Harrison. He always got this, the short end of the stick, I think between uh, McCartney and Lennon, there wasn't a whole lot of room to squeeze through, but boy, when he went solo, he really <laughs> took care of that problem. But I digress. All right. So I, I went for Abbey Road as one of my Beatles albums. And the other one, I think, is the one that some people are going to say, you're kidding, right? Rubber Soul is my other choice. And mm -hmm. the reason why I, I picked Rubber Soul is because, well, it was released in, I think, September of 65, somewhere in there. I was 12 years old. I was, it, it's, the, it's the first Beatles album I ever bought. There is so much of that album for me that just spoke to me. I love Norwegian Wood. John Lennon told an incredible story on with that song. And it was just like, you know, I would picture it in my mind and almost every time I heard it, I would think of a different thing. Okay. When, when he awoke in the morning, he says, I lit a fire. This bird has flown. I lit a fire, Norwegian wood, isn't it good? And I'm thinking, did he light a fire in the fireplace or did he burn her flat down? You know, yeah. <laughs> how dare you leave <laughs> without saying goodbye. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, there's just, I mean, the album starts off with, you know, one of the tightest instrumentals that the Beatles ever did. And 
drive my car. If you listen to the beginning of that song, it's just so amazing. I wish it were longer. In my opinion, John, the first Beatles album where they kind of came out of that screaming girl fan. But when you think of the early Beatles, don't their performances like on the Ed Sullivan show, don't you think of girls just like screaming their head off and not even listening to the damn music? Uh, This was the first album where they really got away from that. And as a matter of fact, they retreated to the recording studio in order to, I think, put another way. It was kind of like if you're familiar with the movie uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, think of it as when the apes were encountered that obelisk, you know, what happened afterwards. It sort of, you know, kind of changed them, moved them along. And, the, and that's the way I look at the Beatles there with Rubber Soul. It was a, it was a grown up band and they met Bob Dylan for the first time. And I think there's a lot of Dylan's influences in the songs on Rubber Soul. What do you think, John? Do you like the album? I do like the album. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, a very good choice. And I agree with you that they started to grow. They started to get into their, their songs weren't quite so poppy anymore. I mean, some of them were on there, obviously, but they, they, they weren't bubblegum as much anymore. And he, I mean, one of the things that I find interesting that Be- uh, Beatles, not this particular album, but is just their growth from album to album. I mean, they're just, their sound grew. It was different. I mean, they were just like, how long were they actually together? Eight years? It's from 63 to 70. Yeah. So. Right. But I mean, did they even really make it to 70? I mean. No, not actually. No, yeah. Didn't. no. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So, I mean, but it's just amazing when you listen to the growth in their, I don't even want to call it growth, the change in their sound, album to album. But I agree with you like this to me, they were getting out of that kind of that that poppy sound, you know, where and, and getting more I mean, their, their songs had more depth to them to me in, in Rubber Soul, even though it was what, 65, you said? Yeah, 65. I mean, that's pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were they were really growing. And I agree with it. I mean, I think Rubber Soul, I just I listened to it and kind of in prep to this. I was listening to a lot of different, you know, Beatles and Stone stuff. I felt pretty strongly that that's where you were going since I know you so well. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's a, an excellent choice. I have a question for you. Like, as far as like rock bands are concerned, mm-hmm. were the Beatles like one of the first to use like orchestral music, like string, like, or, like string music, like violins and stuff in their, in their music? Well, Moody Blues did it. Yeah, Moody before Blues. Before the Beatles did though, is I guess is my question. Yeah, probably, you know? yeah, probably not before uh, the Beatles did, no, but to the degree they did, yeah, I think the Beatles really did uh, plow that field first, so to speak, you know. Just listening back to the Beatles, I thought, huh, they were really an innovative mm. band, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously they were, I mean, <laughs> I know that's that's a ridiculous statement that, you know, because obviously they were, I mean, they're the ones that kind of started it all, kicked it all off, you know, but no, I think uh, Rubber Soul is an excellent choice, Nabby Road is just, yeah. I mean, there's not a bad song on Abbey Road either. I mentioned Peter Jackson's film, The Get Back, that he just released last year. And if only there were a documentary film about the making of uh, Rubber Soul, I'd love to see that because they were still really young guys, you know, and they had this epiphany somewhere along the way about what their music was going to say. And I would have loved to have seen that process recorded on film and the arguments Mm -hmm. there. Like I could just hear Paul saying to John, yeah, but when do I get to say, yeah, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, they just, 
their music just blossomed after Rebel Soul. And I would love to have seen that that process on film. That would have been really cool. Now, so as far, as far as Abbey Road goes, man, you know, is there a better medley on record as there is on the second side of that album? <laughs> unbelievable. It, it is. is just so unbelievably good. Yes. I mean, it, it, and and the, just the changes and just the themes. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And the way they just, they wove it all together. Just, I agree with you. And one of my favorites. Absolutely. Yes. I, I just love that album. And the fact that George Harrison had two major hits on that album, you know, it's just, they, they it's almost like they finally let let his artistry through and i know he did it with you know on the on the white album with while my guitar and a few other things but it was really those two on abbey road that i think set the scene for his incredible solo career which came not long after but out of the two beatles albums i still have to go with my emotional favorite which is rubber soul and maybe because when i bought that album i was in the throes of puberty. I mean, I was, <laughs> you know, and everything that goes along with that for a boy. So maybe that is like part of what, what I feel about Rubber Soul that time of my life. I mean, uh, they say you lock your musical taste in when you're a teenager, don't they? I mean, isn't yeah, that I really so. kind of when you lock it in? Yeah. yeah. I mean, not that you can't expand it as you get older, but I mean, you're just kind of what brings back the freshest memories. You were just disappointed that the screaming girls didn't come with the album. I know that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, by that time, I guess. Yeah. Question for both of you. Do you truly consider the Beatles to be a rock group? Because I feel like that's not how they started. I feel like they started kind of in the pop sense that you guys were talking about with their earlier albums. And is a rock group made by someone who starts somewhere and evolves into a rock group or can some of these bands that you're talking about begin as just a rock group and sort of experiment with sound um, that they produce? Wow. What a great question. John, do you have any thoughts? Cause I do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you do. It's your band. So uh, that you chose here. So let me, let me give a quick, uh, quick opinion on that. And then I'll get out of your way. I think they definitely were a rock band. I think uh, in a lot of ways they invented the genre. You know, I mean, they took a lot of earlier types of music. They put them together. I mean, some they took a they had a lot of influences from like Elvis Presley and, Perry. you know, and blues. And, and I think they put them together and they became they they invented the rock genre. Now, you listen back to their bubblegum stuff on the first couple albums and you think like, oh, wow, this is just, pop, you know, but they did evolve. That's answer number one. And then I'll, Chris can really elaborate on that. But. Number two, I think after them, people came out as rock bands and they evolved their sound. They didn't evolve a genre like the Beatles did. My opinion, anyway, Chris, you wanted to take it from there? No, yeah, I think that's a, that kind of wraps it up. I, I don't know how much I could add to that. Uh, I think the only difference of the Beatles, and I totally agree, yeah, they were a rock band, absolutely. But they were a rock band that gave up touring really quickly and became a studio rock band you know i think that had some effect on them it gave them uh in in a way more freedom to experiment but also when you think back over their music especially in the later years from you know like uh, sergeant pepper on how could they ever recreate that in concert and do a you know an acceptable job 
I don't think they could have because it was so studio centric. And that guy was a genius. George Martin, their producer, has a, a huge hand in the success of the Beatles. I mean, he had so many great, innovative ideas in the studio. Just absolutely amazing. And I almost met him once. He, <laughs> back when I was working at WMGK, he was in. And I don't know why he was in, but he was in. And I passed him in the hallway. And I didn't know he, that he was going to be there. And I heard this rather proper British guy speaking in the, you know, in the, in the kitchen. And he walked out of the kitchen as I was walking down the hallway. And I looked at him and I realized that is George fucking Martin. That is, <laughs> and, and I just had a brush with greatness. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Are you sure it wasn't George R. R. Martin? Just to make sure that we had the right George Martin. <laughs> that, that was a long, profane way to go. To, uh, to say that I agree with everything that John said about the Beatles and being, they were just a different kind of rock band. They were the rock band that inspired most of the rock bands that we know today. And I think almost any of them will tell you that. Did you say anything to George Martin? No. Yeah. Because I was like in shock. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, yeah, okay. I wasn't expecting to see George Martin walking around and in a building in Ballackinwood. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway. You don't expect anything but rats walking around a building in Ballackinwood, <laughs> let's face it. I only ask because I feel like now a lot of artists tend to genre bend. And a lot of the times I feel like they start out in a, in a pop sense and then they sort of develop themselves past that. Um, I find the people who sort of do it in reverse where they like, are starting in a different genre of music, but then create singles that become popular. They don't gain as much of a following as, a, as if they were to start out in pop music and then evolve into a different strength, I guess, so to speak. You know, one in particular that comes to mind is the story of Lil Nas X, who knew he couldn't break into the rap scene. So he went via the country and then that gained him a lot of popularity. And now he's a very popular rapper. You know, he has some pop music that's played on the radio, but I think evolving is a thing that's become really popular um, amongst many more acts as we gain more access to music out there. Wasn't sure if you guys considered them to be a pop rock band or a pop band that evolved into being the rock band. Well, you know, it's interesting because the Beatles back in the early, early days of the Cavern Club, I mean, they were gritty. They were just flat out a rock band. And then Brian Epstein got a hold of them as their manager. And, you know, he made them wear ties and suit jackets and all of that stuff. And, and then they got into the studio with George Martin and he refined their sound even further. So kind of in a way, the Beatles sort of evolved from a gritty, sweaty nightclub rock band into something that was absolutely spectacular. And almost, I wouldn't call it pop, listen to why don't we do it in the road and hey bulldog and songs like that and tell me that's a pop band you know i mean it's not even some of the early john lennon uh throat scratchers that you know i'm trying to think of the title from the really early like meet the beatles uh where lennon just screams his head off doing a chuck berry song i think they almost went in the opposite direction in a way but it was a really great direction to go into and I wonder if they hadn't had the influences that they had, whether they would have taken that path. I don't know. 
So you don't think it's just their natural creativity? You think it's no, I think you I think, you you really attributed a lot to their producer, and you know, I mean, you think that that really they had a ton of influence that kind of funneled them in that direction. I think what I think what happened was is that George Martin brought that out in them and got them to think a little more creatively and and out of the box. Yeah, I think that was his influence on them. You know, Brian Epstein was just a manager who kind of cleaned the lads up uh, before putting them on stage. So yeah. So, yeah, speaking of that, now we go the other way, okay? Because now I want to talk about the world. Yeah, I was just going to say, speaking of cleaning the lads up, <laughs> who else you got? <laughs> the Rolling Stones, come on now. I mean, you know, they've been called the greatest rock and roll band in the world. That may vary for you. I don't know. I think that they, if not the greatest rock and roll band in the world, the longest lasting, you know, even with some of the personnel changes that they've gone through over the years, some of them actually made them better. Some of them, I think, kind of made them a little worse, to be honest. When looking at the Rolling Stones body of work for me, again, and I think this has an awful lot to do with the time period of my life that they, they came out with uh, Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers, when, when that came out, that was like, that was huge. First of all, it was the first Stones album that had the tongue and the lips on it. You know, and that was like a real big thing. Look at that. Everybody thought that that was really risque. That's only branding. I know. And that's only because they couldn't exactly make out the lyrics that Mick was singing for those songs. Boy, yeah. was, yes. <laughs> but, you they know, would have known it was risque if they could make out his lyrics, right? <laughs> yeah, but the album cover had a working zipper on the front of the pants. You know, I mean, that this was, it was genius stuff. It really was. I mean, marketing was, I think Mick Jagger actually went to school for marketing. I could be wrong about that. But all right, so Sticky Fingers was the one album, and the other one has to be Exile on Main Street, just because it was, well, first of all, it was the album that followed up Sticky Fingers. It's also the only time that I saw the Stones in concert, and it was while they were touring for Exile on Main Street. And what a great show that was. A friend of mine, Tom Braun, and I camped out at the Spectrum for three days to buy tickets to see the Rolling Stones. And I think we <laughs> remember those days. Yeah, you got to remember this is, you know, I, I think it was yep. 72, 72. They finally got there in, in 73. And I think we paid like, I don't know, eight bucks a ticket <laughs> for the Rolling Stones. Yep. That yeah. was, yeah. But the, the camping <laughs> out was fun too, because we did that with a lot of other Stones fans. And it was just one of those, hey, we're all in this together kind of thing. And it was like a big, almost like a big three-day party and it's tough to pick between those two albums they're so really unalike when you think about it sticky fingers right. and exile on main street the stones sound like they're totally wasted for through most of exile on main street gee why do you think that is that they sound that way <laughs> i think they probably had some drink in them when they were in the studio there in the south of france recording. drink you're being kind <laughs> <laughs> but there is so much energy on exile on main street and i think it was the stones rocked their absolute best on that album i think that they were in a different location they were in the south of france they were trying to get away from the heavy taxes in england and i i think it obviously also inspired them uh to a certain degree not to mention all the jack daniels they consumed while they were yeah. but i mean you take just from side one it starts off with rocks off I know. And it goes into rip this joint and 
you know, uh, shake your hips and tumbling dice. And one of my all time favorites, Sweet Virginia. Yeah, Mick Jag, Mick Jagger never sounded so down and dirty country as he did on Sweet Virginia. You got to scrape the shit right off your shoes. You know what? <laughs> I've lived my life by that ever since. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me ask you a question. I know that some of the, their influences were when they would tour, they would get influences out of that. You think some of those influences on that uh, came from when they had they just toured the U.S. prior to that? You know, or or were they like so quick in sequence between Sticky Fingers and uh, Exile that there really was no tour time? I don't think there was. I mean, it took them a long time to get uh, Exile on Main Street down, you know, and they worked really hard on that as hard as the Rolling Stones have ever worked on any project, I would imagine. Are you asking me a question about the uh, the country flavor? Of, yes. Of some of the Do you think that was an influence on them when they were here and that's all i'm asking you yeah I, well i think it could be you know i mean prior to that they had a song called dead flowers which was really a great stones country it is a great song agreed <laughs> yeah. you know they mick jagger and keith richards always had that interest in country music you know of course they were really into the blues and all of that but yeah they were really into american country music too and not not you know, the, the progressive current country music that we hear on the radio. I mean, this was Billy the, Nelson type of stuff. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. Mick seemed to really love to get that twang in his voice when he sang a country song and it just really worked so well. And, and just having them. Didn't they really, I mean, didn't you find that their country, their country sound always sounded exceptionally mocking. I know there was a lot of sarcasm in their songs anyway, but their songs that had that country beat to it were really like really offbeat, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think you're right, John. I think that, yeah, they did have a, a little winking going on while they were singing, you know, with the country twang and doing all of that, but it was really good music. I I'm sure country radio never played any of the stones country flavored. <laughs> songs, but, because right. For that very reason that you mentioned, you know, yeah. they were kind of parodying it. In, in more than anything else for me it worked if it, it was just absolutely worked you know here's a, a bunch of you know british guys singing country songs you know i loved it but as far as sticky fingers goes you know uh one of the things that uh, i liked about uh seeing the stones live when i did i think i saw them at their absolute peak i really do I mean, uh, you know i saw them when mick taylor was their lead guitarist and, you know, Bill Wyman was still there and Charlie Watts was still there. Of course, Keith will be there long after all of us are gone. It was the ultimate Rolling Stones lineup, in my opinion. Not taking anything away from Brian Jones, but Mick Taylor was just such an excellent blues guitarist. And he just added so much to that band in the, I think, six albums that he played on with the Rolling Stones that... Uh, you know, and, and, and he came from uh, the Blues Breakers, John Mayles band, cut his teeth on that stuff. His sticky Fingers. I mean, Bitch was on that. Bitch yep. was on Sticky Fingers, right? Yes. That's such a great song. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, and Dead Flowers, which you mentioned, was also on that, right? Right. Yes. Dead Flowers. Yeah. Dead but Flowers I, was on Sticky Fingers, right? Yeah. Yes. Sorry. But, but I think my absolute favorite track on uh, Sticky Fingers would be Can't You Hear Me Knocking? There is yeah. not a better sax yeah. in any rock song than the one that Bobby Keys blew. Oh, yes. You hear me knocking. I think you're right about that. You know, I, I think that's uh, that is a great 
sax solo or whatever you want to call it. I don't even know it was a solo. It was a solo, I guess. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, in that song, yeah. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's uh, absolutely. So those are my two. And out of those two, I have to pick one. And I'm, I have to go with uh, Exile on Main Street only because it was the Stones at their rock and roll hardest. And I think, again, like I said, at the absolute pinnacle, the three albums before that, Beggar's Banquet, uh, Let It Bleed, you heard Sticky Fingers, and then <laughs> Exile, on Main, Exile on Main Street. Those four albums, I think, were the, were the Rolling Stones at their absolute best. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So you would, if you had to pick one gun to the head, as as Gab made me do a little while ago, if you had the, the gun to the head, which album would you make people listen to, or which song uh, it would be? Uh, Exile. Yeah, I would say Exile. You know, it's uh, it's really gritty and low down and dirty, uh, but it's the it's the true Rolling Stones. You know, there is there's nothing refined about it at all. Yeah. uh, that's the thing it'll get a party going yeah it'll definitely get a party going that's for sure yeah sticky fingers has that refined sound to it Uh, (laughs) exile on main street you know they just said oh the hell with this let's just yeah Yeah. let's get this shit out of the way so we can just get on with uh with our decline (laughs) right Exactly. In my opinion, they kind of did go downhill afterward. Go Ted Soup was, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, not even the album cover. They were trying to hide in the album cover. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, John. And Gab. I like it. Two excellent, two excellent choices, Chris. I, I, you know, you can't go wrong with the Beatles and stuff. Absolutely cannot. And the only thing you can go wrong with is you have too many choices with albums and, and favorite songs to, to narrow it down. That's really the only problem you have with that. It is true. Uh, unfortunately, the Beatles are being phased out of uh, commercial radio uh, because they took place in the 60s. And it's not the desirable audience. But as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, I think a lot of younger people, a lot of demos know who the Beatles are and appreciate their music. And maybe some of them, would even be discovering them for the first time. So I totally disagree with this. Let's leave the sixties behind radio folks and move on up into the, you know, I mean, what do we got? Come on, feel the noise to look forward to. I mean, (laughs) are you wondering if that's going to be played on classic rock stations? Cause it is. It already is. Yeah. 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 At the expense of some of the, the, this great material from the sixties. I'm sorry. So I, I often think about the fact that when we were young, Chris, when, we, when you and I were young, the oldies were from the 40s, which was really like 25 to 30 years before, which means that the oldies now are technically like the 90s, the, the mid to late 90s, right? Yeah, but, you know, I don't remember hearing 40s music or even, you know, that much from the 50s when I was a kid. When right. I was a teenager. It's not like it is now, you know, it wasn't. When rock and roll came on, that's when the uh, delineation began, you know, and yeah. no, anything. I was uh, just going to say the fifties are the lost decade. It seems like, you know, like the fifties, I don't know if it was just too shallow, but the music didn't, some of it did. I mean, you've got some Chuck Berry stuff that, you know, really rocked out and Elvis Presley, of course, but I mean, I, I don't know that there's a ton of fifties music that had staying power. You were listening to the birth of rock and roll. 
in the mm-hmm. 50s. Yes. You know, with Little Richard and the people you mentioned, Chuck Berry and Elvis. And, and it was all really based on rhythm, a lot of it based on rhythm and blues. So it was real, honest to goodness, American music. And it was being born in the 50s. It just took a while to mature. Uh, but thank goodness it did, you know. Had to jump across the pond because the four <laughs> four groups that we just mentioned right. are all British, right? So, you know. Do we feel bad about that? I mean, you know, we didn't yeah. pick any homegrown stuff. I don't feel bad about it. I, You know, hey, that's who was um, innovative in making that music at the time. I totally agree. I think, you know, looking at it, that there was a lot, they went through a lot more than American musicians did in the 40s. Most of the people we're talking about were born during World War II when London was being bombed and completely destroyed. And that will get those creative juices flowing, I think, you know, uh, after you get out of the thumb, out from under the thumb of your parents who probably were even stricter in that type of society than in America. Wow, I just really veered into psychology there. I'm sorry, I apologize. Don't ever let me do that again, okay? Just let me just say that right off the top here. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right, John. And, uh, you know, maybe next time we'll discuss the virtues of uh, Van Halen. Well, you know what? I'm thinking maybe we can have a a USA, a UK kind of battle of the bands. We could do like a, a Van Halen versus a Def Leppard or something like that. I don't know. By the way, I love De- uh, Def Leppard. I really do. I, I was so happy to see them get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and they're way past my formative years. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. I got to tell you, I'm, I've always been a big Exile on Main Street fan and a Stones fan. While I'm a big fan of the bands that I mentioned, and I really am, they were more in my formative years than I think, not that I think, than the Stones or the Beatles were. But the Stones have always, you know, I, I buy into that world's greatest band, rock and roll band, anyway. So uh, and and Exile. So if I had a rec- out of the four, out of the four, I would probably go with uh, Exile on Main Street if I had to recommend to anyone. So that would be my choice for the for the top. Just my opinion. It's really tough too because I I, I can make an emotional distinction personally between the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. You know, the Beatles are more heart. For me, the Stones are more somewhere south of heart. Right. <laughs> more in your gut, right? Your gut. That's what you're talking okay, about. Okay, yeah. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's hard for me to, to honestly is to make the and pick one and say, here's the one you got to listen to. But if you're into rock and roll, you definitely got to agree. Totally agree. Go with the, the Rolling Stones and go with Exile on Main Street. You won't be sorry. That's very true. So you are the winner of the battle of the bands. <laughs> but don't worry, I'm going to get you back because next time it's going to be the Australian bands versus American bands. OK, and I'm going to win with those Australian bands. Just take my word for it. <laughs> Men without hats. I think they were Australian band, weren't they? Were they? Yeah, I believe they were. I could be wrong about that, but the safety dance. Yes. OK, <laughs> we can dance if we want to. <laughs> Yeah, I know that. I know. Yeah, let's oh, not do that. We can cut all that out. <laughs> all right. So I think that kind of wraps it up for this week, John. Thank you so much for bringing your expertise and your uh, your uh, conversation to our episode here of the 
Encore podcast that dealt with rock and roll. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was a great time. Very enjoyable. Wow. Did I pay an admission price for a TED talk right then? I feel like that's what I just sat through about the history of specifically British rock bands. Yeah. Well, aren't TED talks like about 18 minutes long? That was <laughs> way over a TED talk. That was like, what, maybe four TED talks there. <laughs> Never take. <laughs> well, if you have a lot to say, then it's a, it's a longer TED talk, right? This is true. Yeah, this is very true. Uh, yeah, I, th that was enjoyable. I, I, you know, I love talking to your dad, my brother, uh, about any topic, uh, but, you know, especially music. There aren't a whole lot of topics that I feel I'm on his level with, you know, but music is certainly one that I feel comfortable having a discussion with your dad about. Um, so that was good. And I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. And look, you don't have to agree with anything we said. You know, it's it's a free country, at least as of. Let's see. What is it? OK, it's almost uh, it's Tuesday night yeah. at uh, around nine o'clock that we're recording this. So it's still free country, which leads me to this. We're off next week for the 4th of July. And uh, we know that this past week has been uh, for many, many, many of us an absolutely horrible week, a week that we uh, never thought that we would see, quite frankly, for a couple of reasons. Um, so we think that we want you to especially enjoy the 4th of July holiday uh, this coming weekend and do whatever you have to do to relax, you know, maybe get out there and do a primal scream. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a shed or a garage, that'd probably be the best place to do it. Otherwise the neighbors will probably bring the police down on your house, <laughs> but you know, and enjoy the holiday uh, weekend, the long holiday weekend. And uh, we'll see you the following week with something really super ex uh, super. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Jab. Exciting. <laughs> That's it. Super exciting for the week after the set of the fourth. <laughs> People can just relax too by like, I don't know, attending a barbecue, swimming in a pool. You don't have to scream. I mean, if you scream and it makes you feel better, <laughs> that works too. I, no, I feel like screaming. That's, that's <laughs> where I'm at. Yes. I'm definitely in scream mode. <laughs> yeah, but we'll, we will be back the week after next with some brand new episodes so please make sure to check them out but please also enjoy the holiday amen see you then <laughs> <laughs>